Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at winshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. If this is your first time here, welcome. You may be wondering what it means to have a special Patreon release. So here's the scoop. Patreon was a platform we used to generate financial support for the Savvy Sauce, and we would express our thanks to those paying patrons by giving them a bonus episode every month. But now we have some exciting news. We are transitioning away from Patreon because we recently launched the Savvy Sauce Charities, a nonprofit to inspire us to grow in intimacy with God and others. And this podcast will be moving under that nonprofit umbrella on January 1st, 2024. That means after January 1st of 2024, your financial contributions to the Savvy Sauce Charities will still support our work and keep us on the air, but they will also be a tax write-off for you. We try to make as much of our material free to the general population, but it's only possible when some generous listeners show their support through financial backing. We spend thousands of dollars each year to record and produce these episodes, and we do pray that they're beneficial and that God sees fit to use them to be transformational in your life and in ours. So if that is the case, if you have ever benefited from an episode of The Savvy Sauce, would you consider showing your gratitude through your financial generosity? Any amount is greatly appreciated. In fact, you may have heard me say before, if every listener gave only $1 per month, it would completely offset all of our costs. We will have updates on our website, thesavvysauce.com, in the coming months, But feel free to reach out anytime to any member of our team if you want to partner together. Our email address is info at thesavvysauce.com. And now I'm thrilled to share this episode with you that used to only be available to paying patrons. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Hope. Thank you so much for having me. Would you mind just starting us off by telling us more about yourself? I would love to do that. So I'm Hope Ware. And I'm a lifelong Central Illinois native. I've been married to my husband, Larry, for 31 years. And we have four amazing sons, ages 23 to 12. I have homeschooled for 20 years. We're still homeschooling. And in my spare time, I sing second soprano. And I've been a featured soloist with the Heritage Ensemble. And I teach English Lit and Public Speaking in the high school department of our homeschool co-op. Wow. So you have a full plate, it sounds like. You know, I thought as my children got older and now we have two grown sons that my schedule would open up a little bit and it really hasn't, but I'm okay with that. It's good. (laughs) Well, thanks for giving us just a little snapshot. And I know that you have a platform online. So looking back, 
How and when did your blog originate? It was actually my oldest son's suggestion. He worked for the Southside Mission at their Mission Mart, and he would have customers come in and start talking to him about homeschooling. He said, you need to talk to my mom. Like, she's a public speaker. She's done this a long time. She writes, and, and, and she'd be happy to answer any questions you have. So I finally came home one day, and he said, Mom, you know, you ought to start a blog. <laughs> he said, you have so many experiences and such wisdom. I really think that this would be like a great outlet for you. So I was like, okay. So I actually started blogging about homeschooling. But the more I blogged about homeschooling, the more I realized my real passion was to teach people not just how to save money. Because I was really good at saving money. We'd never had a lot of money. So I was pretty good at figuring out how to shave corners off of areas of your budget. But my passion was really involved in teaching people that they could live with a spirit of joy and abundance, no matter what their income or their budget. So that was how the blog Under the Median was born. I love that you kept unearthing more and more of your sweet spot. But it does seem like you and your husband have been committed to living debt-free now for over three decades, all while living on what you describe as a salary which was nearly always under the national U.S. median income. So I would love to hear where did your desire come from and how did you learn to actually live debt-free? Well, we were not always debt-free. <laughs> when we got married in 1988, we each had a car loan. So we did have some debt when we got married. And not only that, we had like almost nothing. And I mean that literally nothing in the bank. And we were both making $5 an hour. So about two months after we got married, the bank statement came. And I thought, hmm. So I opened the bank statement and I looked at the bottom line. And I thought, oh, my goodness. It was nearly zero. And I thought, we are in big trouble. Because <laughs> it didn't seem to me that we were living terribly extravagantly. And so I started really praying about it. And I said, Lord, there's a solution here. Clearly, I need to figure this thing out. And like a week later, this man named Larry Burkett started a half hour daily radio program about how to handle money God's way. And I would listen to the program every day because I actually worked at the Christian radio station that put it on the air. So every day I would put Larry Burkett's program on and I would wait and take my lunch hour <laughs> during that program. So I would listen attentively for 25 minutes. And after about two weeks, I came home and I told my husband, I said, Larry, there's this great guy and he started this radio program and I'm learning so much about how God views money and how, and how we should view money and how we should handle it. And we, we are going to have a budget and we are going to live within our means and we are going to pay cash for our next car. And he looked at me and said, you are crazy. <laughs> And he kind of meant it. <laughs> and he was like, look, we are both making $5 an hour. That is unheard of to do what you're suggesting we do. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to show you it can be done. I was absolutely, I was a determined woman. 
So I started tracking every penny we spent and I showed him on paper. He's incredibly concrete sequential. And that's one of the tips we always share with couples. If you've got to think about your love language of your partner and their learning style when you are talking money. And I knew that he's concrete sequential. He's got to know that there's a plan to get from point A to point B. And I put it all on paper and I made like a graph, a chart, which was like speaking directly to where he was in life. And I said, look at this, we can do this. And once he saw it on paper, he's like, I am in. And from that moment on, we determined that we would live within the amount of money that we brought home every month. And I still have that first budget. I have it. I kept it. It is in my budget folder. And every once in a while, I go back and I look at it. And I remember how amazing God has been. That's incredible. And what a great Ebenezer to go back to. You're starting to talk about God, so I know that you also have all these remarkable stories about relying on him and then witnessing his answers to your specific requests. And it was often related to your desire to be wise stewards of your finances. And I personally find these stories to always be faith builders. So will you take us back and share your story about your wedding dress? I would love to do that. So God really began to show his faithfulness to us even before we walked down the aisle. We were paying for our own wedding. And as I mentioned before, we were broke. (laughs) And you know what? We just wanted to be married. We'd known each other five and a half years. And we were like, we really need to be. We just need to get married. So we decided that we would just get married literally in the pastor's study and invite 12 people. And that was it. And so it was like the next best thing to eloping. Our immediate family and like four really close friends were going to be invited and that was it. So we told our parents, we said, we're getting married, but we're just not having a big wedding. We're just going to get married like, you know, in the pastor's study. So my husband is the last of five children. He was 30 years old when we got married and they're a very, very close knit family. So a couple of months after we got engaged, my future mother-in-law said, you know, the family is really disappointed that they can't be there. We waited a long time to see Larry get married. Is there any possibility if we pay for the wedding that you'll invite more people? And we said, yeah. So they paid for the wedding expenses. They paid for our reception, but I did not have a dress. I didn't have a wedding dress. I was just going to wear like a light colored dress that I had in my closet. I was okay with that emotionally to like a month before the wedding. <laughs> and then, you know, I was praying one night. I said, Lord, you know, I, I've been given this amazing opportunity to have a wedding, but I don't have a dress. And now I'm feeling kind of sad about it. <laughs> and so I talked to God, just like just like I'm talking to my father. And my father had passed away right before my 18th birthday. So I really was talking to God like God was my father. And I said, I, I'm just really disappointed. Is there any way that you could provide a dress for me? I'd be really, really grateful. And I prayed about it and I said, amen. I told not one single person that I had prayed that. And the very next morning, my phone rings and it's a lady from church that I did not even know very well. And she said, you know, I know you said you're going to get married with this dress that's in your closet. I don't know. Maybe that dress has like a special meaning to you or something. And that's why you chose it. 
But, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me last night and told me, I'm supposed to buy you a wedding dress. And I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was this moment. I mean, I can't even describe it. I felt such incredible love and grace from God. I thought, my Holy Father loves me so much. And so she said, I bought $100. That's the most I can pay. And even in 1988, that was not very much money for a wedding dress. And I said, okay. So we got together and we went to every wedding store in town. And we, at the very last moment, she said, hey, I hear this store is going out of business. Let's go. And we went and there was my dress on a rack marked down to $25. Wow. And so she had offered 100 and God was abundant even in that offering, finding it for 25 That's incredible. And I'm assuming that dress that was there, that was even in your size? It was my size and it was beautiful. Isn't that incredible? Well, I know that there's another story of God's faithfulness in 1989. So will you fast forward a few years after the wedding and share that one? Yes. So we're married in June of 88. And by August, that's when I'm telling Larry we're broke. (laughs) And I said, we need to move. Our apartment rent was $275 a month. And even that was too much for our income. And he said, where are we going to find an apartment for less? And I said, I don't know, but I think God does. And I said, what do you want in an apartment? And he said, I don't want an apartment. I want a house. And I swallowed hard because houses were even more expensive than apartments. And I said, okay, tell me exactly what you want. Because when I pray, I want to be specific. So I took to my prayer closet and I said, Lord, This is my husband's heart's desire to have a house to rent instead of an apartment. And, you know, you know, you know what's out there and you know what's available. But, you know, I would just lay this petition at your feet and and believe you to provide for us. And a few weeks later, we were going for a walk and turned down a side street for some reason. We turned down a side street and we're walking down the street and both of us spy this little tiny house. It was sitting on two and a half lots. And it was beautiful. And we looked at it and said, look at that adorable little house. And we kept staring at it for some reason. We're just frozen, literally in the middle of the street. We're standing there and we're staring at this house. And I said, Larry, there's no curtains in the windows. I don't think anybody's living there. And there's a teeny tiny piece of paper on the front door. It it was not much bigger than a three by five card. I kid you not. And for some reason, I thought, I wonder what that paper says. And I said, I don't think anybody's living here. I'm going to take a chance. There's really not anybody living here. I'm going to walk up to the house. I walk up to the house. And on that piece of paper, it says for rent. I was like, it's for rent. And at that very moment, this little old man walks out from behind the house. He lived across the street from the house. And for some reason, he was walking through the yard And he said, are you kids interested in renting the house? And we said, yes. Do you know what they're asking? He said, $200 a month. And I thought, no way. (laughs) And we thought he was wrong. So we called the number on the little card. And sure enough, they had tried and tried to rent that house for $300 a month, which was above our budget and could not, for some reason, find anybody to rent it for $300 a month. And they had completely revamped that house inside. Everything in the house was new. They had completely gutted the house. Everything was new and they could not find a renter for $300 a month. And I was like, that's because God was saving it 
for us. <laughs> and we found out that the lady that was renting it knew my sister-in-law. She didn't do a background check. She just basically handed us the keys two weeks early and said, go ahead and move in. We won't charge you anything for the half month rent. We know you kids got some stuff to move in. You can do it a little at a time over the next two weeks. And we lived in that house for four years and it was God's provision for us. These stories are so incredible, and I say it often on the podcast, but I'm continually blown away at how personal God is and so creative to have you on a walk and just discover this gem. But then moving forward in your story, I know that maybe people listening have struggled with finances more so after children entered the picture. So is this true of you and Larry? In 1996, we found out we were expecting. This was amazing for us because by that time, I was 32, Larry was 39, and we'd been through several years of infertility. And so to find out that we were expecting was like, it was a true miracle. It was. So at that moment, I knew once we saw those two blue lines, Larry looked at me and he said, oh, you're going to quit. You're going to quit work. And I knew that was the right thing to do. We, we were just absolutely in agreement with it. So I said, yes, of course, I'm going to quit work. So I walked into work and I said, I'm expecting a baby in December and I will not be coming back again. You'll need to find a replacement. And at that time, our income still wasn't very high. So by quitting work, I was actually physically cutting our already not real high salary almost in half. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we will never, ever have opportunity to like save a penny again the rest of our life. And two things happened, two really important, critical things happened the last month of my pregnancy that just really, it set us up not only for the way that we handled money from that moment on as a family, as a corporate family having children, but how we have taught our children about finances. The first was I was standing in the production studio at WPEO because I was the production manager. So that's what I did. I wrote and produced commercials and programs. And I was producing the weekly program for one of the local missions. And so the director of the mission is behind this big plate glass window in the guest studio. And he's giving this list of things that the mission needs. They needed toothpaste and toilet paper and, and deodorant, just, you know, personal type care items for the guest there at the mission, and I start bawling, like almost ugly crying. And of course, I'm eight months pregnant, so you know it just doesn't take much when you're eight months pregnant <laughs> to start crying. And I turn my head so he can't see me, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, you know that I, I'm going to quit my job, and I believe that that's what you've called me to do. I knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I said, I don't mind it being tight. I honestly don't. But I'm going to ask you one Thing. I am going to beg you to never put me in a position where I cannot give when I feel the Holy Spirit nudging me to give. Because above all, I was not afraid of being poor. I honestly wasn't. And I hate that word. I don't like the word poor because that kind of sets you up for feeling like your finances are centered within yourself and not centered around meeting other people's needs. But I, I didn't mind it being tight. But my heart was to give. I really desperately wanted to do that. And so I just really prayed that God would do that. And I will tell you 
there have been moments when it's been really tight, but never, ever in 23 years of being parents have we ever been in a position where we felt the Holy Spirit saying give and we were unable to do it. So God richly, richly answered that prayer. And that moment in time really set up how we shared finances with our children as they were growing up. We shared with them that God is our provider, that he provides abundantly for us, that we are stewards of the money. It's really his. We are stewards and it's our responsibility to use our resources to share and care for others. And then just the next week, I was ready to leave the workforce. I was sitting on my bed. It was a Saturday and I'd been over the budget and I prayed and I said, Lord, we can't afford diapers. And that was the truth. The budget was so tight that disposable diapers were out of the question. And even cloth diapers, I had no idea how I was going to even have money to pay for new cloth diapers. And I said, Lord, you know the situation. And I would pray that you would provide cloth diapers at a price that I can afford them. The very next morning, I opened the newspaper where it's a Sunday morning, we're getting ready for church. I open the newspaper and there in the classifieds is an ad that says cloth diapers, brand new cases, $5 a case. And I called the lady. We went to look at them after church and I walk in her house and like there's, there's this wall of cases of diapers. And I thought, what's this lady's story? And she said, my husband is an over the road truck driver and he tried recently to deliver these cases of cloth diapers to a merchant and they declined the shipment. And so he contacted his shipping company and said, what do I do? And they said, keep them, do whatever you would like to with them. And that was how those cases of cloth diapers wound up in her dining room. I bought 10 dozen cloth diapers in several sizes. And those cloth diapers lasted me through diapering my first two children. And that was for four years they lasted. And one of the things that I find so fascinating is this whole time you and your husband, I'm assuming, are being very strategic and intentional, and you're being specific then to ask God, and he keeps delivering. But something I notice is that he's not just offering all of this for free, but he asks for something so little from us. We just give our little loaves and fish, and he turns it into something more than we could ever ask or imagine. And that occurred to me when I was getting ready for this podcast. I thought, you know what? I don't want people to feel like you just pray and God is like your magic <laughs> genie and he delivers everything to your front door. Sometimes God does provide through circumstances where things are given to you, but sometimes God provides through an extra side job or through overtime or through providing something that is just the right price that you can afford. And sometimes God says, no. And it's not because God's being mean. It's because sometimes the things we think we need, we find out later, we really didn't need. And so really being obedient to God and being in that prayerful attitude and saying, Lord, I just I want to leave it at your feet and allow you to provide however you choose to provide. And all of the stories that we've gathered over 31 years of marriage, all of those things happened in 31 years. And it wasn't just all of a sudden stuff shows up at our door. Sometimes it was a long, hard wait. And we had to embrace delayed gratification over and over and over again. But God does always, always provide. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. 
I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Picking up with your story again, as your children grew, you did write about another experience where God met your request yet again. So will you take us back to your second son being 10 years old and badly wanting piano lessons? He desperately wanted piano lessons, and he asked us for them. And we said, well, let us check into the price. And so I asked several piano teachers in the area, and it didn't matter what the price was. It was beyond what we had. It was more than we had available to carve out of our budget. And so I was ready to tell him no. And at that very moment, I was reading a book called Raising Kids for True Greatness. I highly recommend the book. It's by Dr. Tim Kimmel. And I'm reading through the book, and Dr. Kimmel says, when your children come to you for something, don't let your default answer be, no, we can't afford that. It's okay to pray and tell them, we're going to see what God does. And oftentimes, God will answer that prayer in amazing ways for your children. And you would have thought by all these years of God doing that for us, I would really have had that ingrained in my mind. But somehow as a parent, as a parent, it gets more difficult because you want to give your children everything. And so that reminder, I thought, oh my goodness. I told my son, I said, John, we're going to pray about this. So my husband and John and I prayed. We said, Lord, you know the situation. You know, he really wants these lessons. We pray that you would provide a way. And so John, you know, skips off. He's happy as a camper. He's like, okay, God's going to provide. It's all good. And my husband and I, after we leave the room, we, should, we our knees hit the floor and we're like, Lord, we really, really need you to provide this for our baby, please. <laughs> Just do this for him and strengthen his faith. And we had no idea how it was going to happen. And within a week, one of the teachers I had contacted uh, called me and she said, are you still interested in lessons? And I said, we are, but there's just no way that we can carve that out of our budget at this time. She said, oh, that's okay," because I was wondering if you weren't interested in bartering. And I said, sure. What do I have that you want? And she said, I don't want you. I want your sons. And I was like, really? What do you want them for? And she said, I am adopting four orphaned children. Two of those children are young men. And she said, I have observed your older boys. I have seen the way that they interact, the way they treat one another with respect. 
and kindness. I have seen their godly attitude toward one another, and I would like both of your older sons to come over once a week and mentor my two adoptive sons and show them what it is to be godly young men. And if they will both do that once a week, your son may have free piano lessons. And I think that that story really touches so many people because as a parent, you do especially want those prayers answered, especially because you are involving your sons in this process. And it's kind of like you want to show God off to them, but in a good way. And that's incredible that he followed through and asked something little of your sons that I'm sure was another benefit, that relationship from mentoring. Well, they were grateful. And, you know, I think the thing with them was my older son, you know, he didn't have any skin in the game. He was just being asked to do this in order to help his brother get the lessons he so badly wanted. And he was delighted to do it. So that just strengthened their relationship all the more, too. Oh, that's incredible. Do you have any other examples of God's faithfulness, either in your life or others that you've witnessed? You know, what is so wonderful about these stories, and I think that everyone has these stories, and it's not just stories that one has when one is living on a lean budget. I think everybody has them, but sometimes they don't recognize them. When you're living on a tight budget and you're really having to go to God frequently and say, Lord, I just need to know what to do about this, then you recognize it more readily. But when you're not in that position, sometimes these things happen and you don't recognize them as much. As a parent, the answer is that for all the stories that I have through the last 31 years, the most meaningful ones to me are not the ones that necessarily involve me directly, but are the stories of my grown sons really taking these principles into their heart and their life and now being young people in their 20s that come to me and say, Mom, I got to tell you what God did for me this week. And then coming to me and completing that cycle and repeating their stories of God's provision and God's grace in their own lives to me. As a mom, that's very relatable. That's one of our desires for them. It seems that one of your takeaway lessons from all of these stories is just to never doubt. Never doubt what's possible with God and remember to thank Him. And I just want to read one quote from your blog where you say you encourage your kids the really good part about being raised without a lot of money is that you have a lot of stories to tell about God's amazing grace, guidance, and provision. So after living through these incredible reminders of God's personal and generous love for each of us, what is your advice for all of us who are listening today? I really take people to a Bible verse, which is 1 Samuel seven twelve, And that verse reiterates the story of how Samuel set up a series of stones and the stones were designed to remind him and remind the children of Israel of God's goodness and faithfulness. Those stones of remembrance 
And it reminds me of the importance of telling these stories, of passing them down to your children. Our children have heard so many stories. They will ask for them. Sometimes we'll sit down and they'll just say, tell me the story about this, mom. Those stories become the building blocks of their own faith. And those stories will not only build your children's faith, but they will build the faith of future generations of your family, because those are the stories that will be repeated generationally again and again and again. And that is why they are so important. And you gave us your son's ages currently, but how old were they when you began sharing these stories with them? Oh, they were very young. They were probably toddlers. I remember my oldest son being two years old and we we prayed for size 3T clothing because he was growing out of his 2Ts and we really didn't have money to go buy 3Ts. And I prayed with him. I said, we're going to pray that God provides some new clothes for you. He's like, okay. And so we prayed. And a week later, this lady who had never given me clothes before shows up at the front door and said, I have two boxes of clothes. My son has outgrown them. Are you interested? I said, absolutely. What size are they? And she said, of course, they're 3T. So I take the clothes inside and I start emptying the boxes and we're sitting on the bed. And I say, oh, James, look at these amazing clothes that God provided for you. And I look up and he is sitting squarely inside one of the boxes. And he said, and mom, look at this box that God sent me. (laughs) That was the moment when I knew the importance of the stories because your children understand and express the same things in their own lives, and they begin to mimic those and bring those stories and that prayer language and that prayer life into their own life at a much younger age than you as a parent think they can. Hearing so many of your specific requests, Hope, were you raised in a family that modeled this with specific prayers? Our family prayed together. My parents did not come to the Lord until I was about 10 years old. And so the first part of my life, I have no memory of that. But I do remember as as a middle schooler and a high schooler, we would pray together. But money was not discussed at all in my home. And so the whole idea of learning how to handle money was a foreign concept to me until I was in my 20s. Okay, so Hope, you've shared that you and Larry then were on the same page. You were both all in, wanted to live this debt-free life. What did that look like in practical terms so that maybe we could even replicate some of the steps that you and Larry took? Well, the first thing that I tell people to do is that they need to know where they're at. If you've ever taken a walk, like say in a national forest, they've got these signs all over the path that show you, here's a map of the whole thing and here's where you are. Because you can't move forward until you know where you're at. So you have to begin to track expenses. You need a written budget. You need to know exactly how much debt you're in because if you don't know that, and you don't have a plan to begin paying off that debt, then you could unintentionally be actually digging a deeper hole and not knowing it because you don't know what the goal is. 
And the last thing I tell people that they need in order to move forward and begin on the path to becoming debt free, not only a budget, not only to know how much debt they're in, to have a plan to pay down that debt and to have a list of short, medium, and long-term goals. I'll tell you why that's critical. Because even if you don't make much money, you still do not get a pass on planning future goals. Those goals, they're like highway markers. Here's where we're at. Here's the plan to get from where we're at to the first goal, then the second goal, then the third goal. Those goals and seeing those goals begin to come to fruition are what will keep you on the path to becoming debt-free and moving forward because it is hard. I'm not going to tell you it's easy because it can have difficult moments where you must take up delayed gratification again and again and again. But if you will know this is where we're at and look at the progress we've made. And that is exactly why I have my first budget from 1988 still sitting in that budget folder because I can go back and I can look at it and say, look how far we've come. And as you do look at how far you've come Do you have any of your successes or celebrations to share? Well, we determined that we would live within our means. And so that meant getting debt free and staying there. (laughs) We did take out a mortgage for our first home and we paid 20% down with a 15 year mortgage. We made double payments and paid the mortgage off in five years Then we stayed in that little two-bedroom bungalow for another 12 years while we slowly brought home more children. And we had four boys in that tiny two-bedroom house by the time we were done. But our goal was to pay cash for our current home. And we did that almost 10 years ago. And we saved the money to pay cash for this house in 12 years, and our average income was $35,000 a year. That's amazing. Well done. You were a faithful steward, and you just did the steady plotting, and that's incredible to hear where it's taking you today. If listeners want to read more of your writing, where would you direct them? I have blog. And it's under the median, M-E-D-I-A-N dot com, uh, named for the fact that we raised our four sons at an income which was under the national U.S. median income, and we did it debt-free. So that's where the name of the blog came from. So it's under the median dot com. And we are also on Facebook. Instagram, and we have a YouTube channel. And on Thursday nights, my husband and I together are doing Facebook Lives where we share tips and strategies for budgeting as a couple. Awesome. We will link to all of that in our show notes and our resources tab of the website. And hope I just have one more question for you today. We're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so we would all love to hear, what is your savvy sauce? My savvy sauce is that God is amazing and that he delights in providing what we need when we need it. He delights in giving his children good gifts. But the most important savvy sauce is that you can live with a spirit of joy and abundance 
no matter what your income or what your budget. Well, I hope your faith definitely shines through every portion of this interview. Thank you for inspiring faith in each of us through recounting all these times that God has revealed himself to you. I really appreciate you being my guest. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this special Patreon release, and we hope it also gives you a glimpse into the amazing conversations we're having on Patreon every month. Next week, the only episode going live is for our paying patrons. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.